you'd open up your Bibles to John 1. We're going to be going through John 1, 43 through 51 today. Beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in your word, God. I just pray that you would help us hear the message that you have for us in this text this evening. I pray that it would be applied to the souls of every individual believer in this room, Lord. And if there are any among us who do not know you yet, O Lord, that they would come and see the risen Savior, that they would believe upon you by faith, God. And I pray that you would give the speaker today, myself, a a word for these people, God. And may I Uh, Although stumble through it, may your Holy Spirit work in power. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, it is very true, brothers and sisters, that for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It's a fundamental Christian truth. However, that doesn't look the same for everybody. God draws all of his Christians by various means. Not that it is outside of the word of God preached, But your conversion does not look like my conversion, and vice versa. As you know, we've been going through the book of John, and we've seen how God builds his kingdom. Andrew, in the last passage, and the other nameless disciple, hear the preaching of John the Baptist and are converted. They believe when when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then they leave John and follow Jesus. Then we hear these new converts going to their homes and speaking of the Messiah to their families. God is not concerned with an explosive amount of people hearing and following him. He's concerned with a few individuals faithfully doing what he says. He's concerned with the genuineness of faith among his people, regardless of whether or not they appear amazing in the eyes of the world. Because, brothers and sisters, we know that if you are a Christian, you will be anything except amazing in the eyes of the world. In our passage today, we see more examples of how Jesus began to build his church. Philip was on the road, um, and our Lord himself met him. It must be noted, there is only one salvation in Jesus, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one law, and one truth, but many... And varied are the ways that men come to faith in Christ. In these cases we read in John's gospel, these men had a true and genuine interaction with the Lord. But not all of them came practically the same way. 
Andrew and his cohort were found on the banks of the Jordan, where Philip is found in Bethsaida. And Peter is found in that same or, or sorry, and Nathaniel is found in that same town by Philip. We must be willing to accept the various ways men and women come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, some of us come to Jesus as children with hardly a stir in the night and never depart his side. Others are found by God in the quiet of their living room while uh, reading through the word of God. Others are converted in prison cells and are found by God while bound in chains. Others have been found at Billy Graham Crusades or a Pentecostal tent revival. Others have been found by God in foxholes while under gunfire. And others of us may have been found by God while high on methamphetamine. Others are found 25 years deep into attending church and find out that they've been a religious hypocrite the entire time. It does not matter where God finds you. It just matters that he does. How do you know that God has found you? What are the words that Jesus speaks to Philip in verse uh, 43? Follow me. If Christ has found you, you will be found following him. You will also not be content to follow him alone. What did Philip do as soon as Jesus tells him to follow him? He doesn't, he doesn't do what the previous disciples did and literally physically follow him where he goes. He follows in his steps. He goes, the first thing that I saw this man Jesus do, who I believe the Messiah, is come to me and tell me to follow him. I'm going to follow him in the way that he told me to follow him, and I'm going to go tell other people to follow him. Because the way that we follow Jesus is not a and some people do this, and it's not a bad thing, merely a pilgrimage to Israel to walk where he walked on the earth. It's to walk in the way that he walks. And we see that Jesus opens up his gospel. John opens up his gospel, and Jesus is going to the lost, house of the, or the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <clears throat> so many of us have to discern for a long time what God's will is in our lives. But we miss the, the practical truth of what Philip has for us here in the text. And we miss what Jesus says, what he says in John 5:19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. To be immediately obedient to whatever word or example that you see in the word of God, because you have received Christ for who he truly is, ought to be the aim of every true believer. Philip doesn't even ask the question of whether or not he's allowed to go bring his friend. He sees that the Lord has come to recruit him, so he must go and recruit another. He doesn't assume that it's limited to himself. He believes that Jesus Christ is, is recruiting many. And this is a priority issue for us, brothers and sisters. Personal evangelism is how God started his church, and it's how he continues to build his church. We have to pay attention to how the Gospel of John begins. It begins with major theology. The first 18 verses are laying out the necessities of the faith. We do not have a faith that is substanceless, that is merely a social connection that you make, and you connect them with some vague spiritual being. We have a definitive God who is defined in the Gospel of John in the first 18 verses. But then it moves to the practical witness. It moves to the witness of John. Uh, who was all about proclaiming the kingdom of God. His purpose was the voice in the wilderness to make straight the paths of the Lord so that when the Lord comes, those who are his would follow him. And then we see men converted and sharing the truth. 
there is almost nothing at all about what the majority of people think Christianity is about. If you go and talk to a person on the street about Christianity, they're mostly going to think it's a, a, a book of rules or a book of do's and don'ts. Um, they're going to think that uh, Christianity is just like every other religion. If you do good, you make it into heaven, and if you do bad, you go to hell. Uh, that's, I mean, you can prove that true by just having a conversation with anybody who's really outside of the church. Um, but the Gospel of John introduces us to a God who doesn't relate to us on the basis of our do's and don'ts. It begins with an introduction to who God is and then shows us God introducing himself to men. Therefore, Christianity is a religion that is all about knowing God and helping other people know him. Not by a religion or a performance or a set of moral rules, Instead, the crux of this knowledge rests on what the Son of God has done and who he is. That's why we can have people come from so many different walks of life. It was on, if it was on the base of who you are or what you've done or who you know, almost nobody would be allowed into the kingdom of God. Instead, we see Jesus going to a regular guy like Philip, a man like any of us in the room, and Christ tells him, follow me. And if you read the list of apostles... Philip is often listed as number five, right? And I'm so grateful for that. It seems like a simple thing, but uh, if you're a number five type of guy, if you're in the middle of the pack somewhere, you know, you're not in that inner circle of uh, maybe James or John or Peter, it's nice to know that you're still one of the first people that Jesus recruited, and you're happy that Jesus recruited you at all. Um, it doesn't matter where you rank on the list of the apostles. You're just one of them. And so, you know, that, that's the same for us as Christians because, you know, it's very easy. We always want to put a hierarchy of things together that these guys are the top, these guys are the bottom, and, you know, it, I'm somewhere in there. Jesus loves the middle road guys. Jesus loves the, the fives because Philip is here and he's eager to do what the Lord says. And we see another person get saved, and that's just an amazing thing. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, going back to the idea of how many different ways people come to the Lord. Um, you know, it, it's not to say that there aren't some of us who haven't had very dynamic conversions, um, where maybe we've been very stubborn and the Lord has had to crush us a little bit to get us to call out to him, to snatch us as brands out of the flame. Um, or there are some that come quietly and confess in their heart at church their need for a savior. Um, but so many of us are like Philip, going about our regular day, living our normal lives out there working in the world, um, and the Lord breaks the status quo and demands our full attention where maybe he puts a Christian in our path. Um, and that crazy guy just won't shut up telling you about who God is because he's like Philip and he wants you to know who this Savior is. Or, um, you know, again, that we may be like Andrew, an already religious man uh, of whom the Lord Jesus says a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And be met by the Lord in the secret chamber of our heart before we encounter anything of an experience with him because we've been taught by the word. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what you're doing. If the Lord has a calling for you, you will be born again. That's irresistible grace. That's a part of our belief as Calvinists is that if God's called you, you will come. It may not look the same as everyone else, but it's true. But pay close attention to what Philip says of Jesus in verse 45. 
We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip is able to identify who the Savior is, not by his feeling of who this Savior might be or his own personal understanding of him, but by comparing Jesus with the scriptures. There are many who would emphasize only a personal experience with the Holy Spirit of God and say that's all that's needed to be saved. There are many false religions that emphasize what is called a burning in the bosom. Those are our, Mus our, our Mormon neighbors that emphasize a burning in the bosom. Um, and that's meant to testify to the truth and the reality of God dwelling in you. But we cannot replace the truth of God's word with any sort of physical sensation or emotional experience. Yes, these men did have a real and genuine experience with the true and living Son of God, but they didn't leave it at that. Jesus gave Philip the command, follow me, and Philip did so. But he didn't just take Jesus at his word. He looked at Jesus and he heard Jesus and what he said, and he said, does this line up with the word of God that I know is the word of God? And the answer was yes. The answer was yes. And so... There are times in our lives where, where something of God may be happening to us and it might be outside of our expectations or our parameters of what we think Jesus ought to be doing in this person's life. But it's very easy to get entrapped in this idea of, well, this is the way that I understand Christianity and not what does the word of God actually say about this. We're going to get more into the idea of expectations as we continue on. But... Going back to Philip following him, um, if you have any sort of experience with God that does not lead to a personal obedience to what he tells you to do, I can assure you, your profession is false. It's false. If you don't do what God says after you've said that you believe in him, you may call yourself a Christian, but you're not. If you have a faith in God that never goes beyond the words, yes, I'm a Christian, but you never go to the Bible to see how it actually tells you to live and what it truly means to call yourself by that name, then it's as clear as the noonday sun, you're an imposter. And it can be as easy as recognizing that you are an imposter and you do want to follow the Son of God and you're going to go to the Bible and listen to what it has to say to be converted. But there are many people who grew up in church, call themselves Christians, lived under the teaching of, of the Bible, and live their lives however they want to, according to the flesh. True Christian spirituality is all about going into the good book to see what God has said and then believing it and living your life accordingly. Isn't that what Philip did? That's what we're reading. He found that Jesus perfectly matched up with the word of God and said who it was about, and he knew the scriptures, and he found that this man, Jesus Christ, matched perfectly with the word of God, said the Messiah to be. In today's day and age, we know that there are many so-called messiahs. Muhammad, Muhammad's one of them. He's a so-called messiah. Joseph Smith. He may not have called himself a messiah, but he brought the truth of God's revelation, so-called, and, and said that the, the church is false. There are many false Christs out there. Um, the Lord Jesus tells us this in Matthew 24, 24, saying, False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That means that we should be vigilant. We can't ever think that we have the truth well enough that if a false messiah came up, we'd go, Oh, I obviously can see that's a false messiah. 
It says, even the elect are possibly deceived here, which means that we need to be on guard against these so-called false messiahs. <clears throat> so, it's true, we will have many experiences with God, but you cannot depend upon experience alone. You have many emotions about God, powerful emotions, strong emotions about God. But emotions alone are insufficient to save you. You will have the word of God to guide you, but the word of God apart from the Holy Spirit in you won't save you. That's what the Pharisees' problem was. That's what the, the Jewish people of Jesus' day were problem is that they had the scriptures, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with God must be full-orbed. You must have the internal witness of the Spirit of God testifying to your spirit. And you must come to a full knowledge of who the truth of God is in the scriptures. And what kind of Messiah is the scriptures say he is. When these two things come together, the internal witness of the Spirit of God in your heart and the external truth of the word of God resonates in your mind and you live according to that, that's how you become a born-again believer. Simply, the Spirit of God makes you born again. But a little bit more detailed is the internal Spirit of God testifies to the external truth of the Word of God and what happened in history. There may be some times where the circumstances of how God is working really might not make sense to us either. Um, when we move to Nathaniel in the text, in verse 46, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth was a small town of no real note. It was a backwaters town. Um, I think of the small villages when I'm driving out to Archie Hendricks on Thursday evening of, uh, that have a population of no more than two to 400. And you look at Nazareth, it was two to 400 people. It was, everybody knew everybody. It was, there, we have churches in America that are larger than Nazareth nowadays. So it, it's this idea, who's gonna come from this, this little nobody nothing town? Well, the savior of the world will. So Nathaniel's asking this question. He's genuinely puzzled because he knows the people there. He, he, th those are the people that you probably don't want to associate with that much. You know, they're, they're, they don't dress nice. They don't look that great. They aren't hip and, and with it. You know, they're not in the city. They're out in the country, kind of like us. Um, Nathaniel's expectations for God, what God would do limited his knowledge and understanding of God. You really can't and shouldn't put, put your human expectations on how God is going to work. You can't. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Right now there is a man, he's online, uh, his, name is, his username is Richie the Barber. And um, this man is famous and he, he was famous in Hollywood because he tattooed his entire body and face to permanently resemble that of a clown. His face is tattooed as a clown. Um, and the man was very involved in Hollywood. He, was, he knew everybody. He was a barber, and people liked the novelty of having a clown man cut their hair for some reason. Um, but the Lord converted him. I mean, and, and so he went from making all of this sort of worldly content, and the Lord grabbed his heart, and now he's like just wears a hat that says Jesus all the time. He's like, I don't want anything to do with Hollywood. He, he's actively calling out all the sins that these Hollywood people did that he knew about, and he's renouncing them, and he's telling other people to renounce them. Um, you know, I, I think that there's truly no one that is beyond the saving grace of God while they live. He can save clown men. 
He can save drug addicts. He can save prostitutes. He can save anybody he wants to save. Um, you cannot limit God's actions to what your expectations of him might be, except your expectation of him be defined by what the word of God says about him. How many of us would still hold a man like Richie the barber at arm's length because of his appearance? It would be hard. Or we may be reticent to accept him as openly as others because of how strange he looks. But we can't limit God and his choice merely because that person doesn't fit within our sentiments or our likes or our wants. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. When we're tempted to believe that something cannot be of God because it is too far outside of what we would consider normal, we all must have an internal Philip saying to us, Come and see. You don't believe that God can work in the middle of stage four cancer diagnosis? Come and see. You don't believe that God can be working in the middle of a maximum level penitentiary? Come and see. You don't believe God can truly convert your drug addicted family members? Come and see. You don't believe that God could start an amazing work right here in the middle of the desert at Providence? Keep coming and you will see. We may not have a big flashy show or anything to really entertain any of you, but if you keep coming and hearing the words of the men who preach from this pulpit, you will know that the Spirit of God is working in your life. It will be irrefutable because the gospel is preached here and the whole counsel of God is preached here. And that is how we see God's word working in our lives. And you don't believe that God can use the crippled, the lame, the infirm, those who are far outside of your expectations for who, God, who you think God should use? Come and see. He will use you. And you know, many of us don't like to be surprised, I'm sure. I remember the first and only surprise birthday party I ever had. I, uh, first, I want to thank my mom. I thought she might be here. I didn't want to say that I was saying anything bad about the birthday party. It was great. But... Um, <laughs> The surprise party scared me to the high heavens. I mean, I remember coming home early, and I, I forget why my mom had me come home early. Um, but we opened the door, and it was all of my friends there, and they were shouting and screaming at me and spraying me with, with silly string. And I just turned around and went running, and I couldn't process it for 10 seconds. I was just terrified. Um, but when things surprise us, it's outside of the framework of our thinking. It's outside of the realm of our control entirely. Um, like Nathaniel, um, we have to ask ourselves, are we unwilling to accept that God may be in the exact place that you'd never think he'd be in? Is he there? You know, I, I have a friend online who, who he's like, I'm going to go and make friends with Satanists because I want to convert them. And, I'm, and so many people are telling him, don't do that. It's dangerous. And he goes, someone needs to do it. Someone needs to go and share the gospel with those people. Yeah, they're enemies of God, but who isn't who isn't a Christian? And I go, good on you. Go to the Satanist. Maybe God's working there. Um, you know, do you, still at your, uh, do you still find yourself at times surprised by God? Or is your relationship with the Lord one of common, unexcitable humdrum? You know, it, it, I'm, I'm not saying that God necessarily has to give you a big surprise, but if you have developed expectations in your life that really limit your ability to see what God might be doing or what he wants you to do, you may be like a man like Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? 
Rather, you ought to be open to what God is doing and what he may be calling you to do. Don't think, I have a mortgage to pay, a career I'm building, a family to care for. God certainly can't be calling us to mission work. He could be. He could be. You'd have to pray about it. You'd have to go to the Lord. You'd have to ask him, God, are you calling me to do this drastic, dynamic thing? It's going to take a lot of resources. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of work. Are you calling me out of my comfort? The answer is always yes if he's calling you out of your comfort. God doesn't want you to be comfortable. He wants you to sit on pins and cushions while you're in this life because we're waiting for heaven. But you have comfort in the spirit and comfort in the hope of heaven. But God could be calling you to those things because he draws us out of our worldly and earthly expectations. So we must remember what the Lord Jesus said to the man who wanted to follow him. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we're meant to look like Jesus. Constantly, you must be taking your expectations out and examining them so they're not blinding you, so they don't become traditions, so they don't become those set rules a part of your life that guide the way you act when they're not actually grounded upon the Word of God. You know, and, and how did Jesus combat the normalcy of, of Nathaniel's humdrumness? He gives him a supernatural revelation. Jesus sees, uh, he sees Nathaniel under the fig tree, and Nathaniel immediately makes an open profession of faith in this Messiah. It's kind of strange. What's that all about? He goes from, nothing good comes from Nazareth, to, this is God in the flesh. I think verse 51 is helpful for us here. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What gave Nathaniel such an immediate turnaround in thought? What subverted his expectations? He immediately went from not believing that anything good can come from Nazareth to confessing Christ as Lord. Verse 51 is a reference to Jacob's vision of a ladder reaching into heaven. In Genesis 28, 10 through 17, it reads... Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what is promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Just in the same way that Jacob went to sleep unassumingly and woke up with a divine sense of awareness that he had come in contact with God, I think Nathaniel was taking a nap under the fig tree and gave him a dream. And he's a sensible man, a reasonable man, and so he didn't really think much of his dream as probably most of us do. We have dreams and we wake up and we go, huh, that was weird, and then don't think much about it. But there's a double parallel in the text because Nathaniel is one whom Jesus says there is no deceit, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Jacob means liar. So we have this double parallelism of Nathaniel being compared with Jacob. 
Um, Nathaniel was one who was well acquainted with the things of God. He seems to be a sensible man, but all of his sensibilities melt away when confronted with the true and living God in Jesus Christ. A man who would otherwise be unaffected by dreams or visions when in contact with the true and living God ignores what his senses tell him and receives Christ by faith. This is something very common in areas of the world where it's difficult to reach people with the gospel. By no means am I going to stand up here and tell you that you should be expecting dreams and visions from God. Not at all. You have the preached word to you every single Sunday. If God's giving you visions and dreams, I think it's because you're in a starved land. You don't have a, a ready access to the gospel of truth. So in Muslim countries... There are hundreds of reports of Muslims who have dream interactions with the Lord Jesus Christ and are converted from a dream. Now, I don't think that's the regular or normal way anyone comes to Christ, and um, we should not be encouraging any sort of dream interpretation within the church. But I think we can be praying for dreams for those people who are in lands that are hard to reach with for the gospel. I think. Rather than discouraging the idea of, of those dreams being valid, I think we should say, Lord, send legitimate dreams that convert those who are lost and bring them the people who need to preach to them and speak to them. Please grant us bold men who are willing to go into those countries and are willing to die for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it may be something that we Reformed folk don't like to think about, um, people being converted through a dream or a vision. That's not very reformed. Um, it's more charismatic or Pentecostal. And this was in a different age of the um, New Testament Gospels. It was the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And we saw a lot more supernatural workings during that time. Um, and we do believe that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But God can certainly have anybody he wants converted in any way he sees fit. Um, and if he wants to use a dream, he can use a dream. Um, and I want to be very careful. Uh, the book of Jude tells us of false teachers, yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So if you're going to your dreams to, you know, do fleshly things and revile glorious ones, clearly you're in, in the wrong here. Um, but Lord... Give Muslims dreams so that they trust in you and believe in you. Um, and you must take, every, may, must take every thought captive and bring it into subjection under Christ. Whether that's a normal, rational, conscious expectation or an unconscious, unconscious irrational dream, any and all bigger little thoughts you must have surrendered to the Lord of glory and have them be held accountable to the word of God. Beloved, let's pray for God to change our expectations to be more in line with his word. Let's pray that God would be working in those areas we never thought he would be. Let's be praying for those who are the most lost, transgenders, homosexuals, murderers, Satanists, the weird and the bizarre, those who are taboo and hide in dark alleys. Let's pray for God to meet those people because they're the ones that need the gospel the most. And I would love for God to fill up this church with those whom we would never expect to be here. Pray also that God would grant dreams to those people who cannot regularly hear the preaching of the word. May we have more men and women like Jacob and Nathaniel who receive a dream and vision and are changed forever by it. Not relying on the dream as their sole basis for theology and the truth, but as a means that God would use to bring them to him. 
and then that they would go and find a Bible-preaching church. And finally, brothers and sisters, pray for God to give providence open hands, hands that are willing to receive anything and everything the Lord might give them with a joyful heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, please grant us open hands to receive whatever you would have for us, Lord. That we would not be those who are picky in uh, what we want based on our preferences, Lord, but we would know that you're working and that you're doing and that you're feeding and that we would be willing to receive whatever you give us, Lord, not naively or foolishly, um, acting in an undiscerning manner, Lord, but I pray that you would make us as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, and that we would be willing to accept the strange among us, because there are so many in our culture this day that are the strange among us. I pray that we would be filled with the tattooed and those who smoke. I pray that we would be filled with those who are addicted and, and hurt and they would be genuinely converted and that we would see that the Spirit of God is capable of converting far beyond um, what we would consider normal, Lord. And may your gospel explode in power. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for this time. Make us zealous for the work of the gospel. Continue to send forth laborers out. Send us out, Lord. Grant us the zeal and the eyes to speak your truth wherever we go, God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.